during our prayer meeting here in the church in Norway, I uh, shared um, a few uh, thoughts uh, which I felt to develop into a message today. And uh, uh, with the help of the Lord, I want to share that message to you because it it deeply touched me. I was thinking about it. So I pray the Lord will speak to you through this message. Let's turn to the book of Esther, chapter 3 and verse 2. Uh, Esther, chapter 3 and verse 2 to begin with. Esther chapter 3 and verse 2 says, And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Now let's turn to the book of Esther, chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. The book of Esther, the same book, chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. And we read there, it says, Haman said, moreover, yea, Esther the queen did let no man come in with the king, unto the banquet that she had prepared but myself. And tomorrow am I invited unto her also with the king. And verse 13 says, Yet all this availeth me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. There you have it. With the help of the Lord, I'll share a message with the title, The Church in Babylon. The Church in Babylon. You see, the church today of Jesus Christ is like Israel. At this particular time, when Israel were captives or in exile in a foreign land, uh, Babylon. I am aware that this story takes place in Persia, but let's call this whole kingdom of uh, where all of this transpired, let's just call it Babylon, metaphorically, because anyhow, the Persians inherited uh, their power from the Babylonians, and uh, uh, God himself prophesied through his prophets that he would bring them back from Babylon of the 70s. So let's, that's why I call it the church in Babylon. So let's just think about this. The churches in Babylon, they were punished by God. Yeah. They were thrown out of the land of Canaan because of their idolatry and uh, stubbornness and refusing to humble themselves and listen to the prophets of God. But make no mistake, the church, even in exile, even in Babylon, 
is still the church of Jesus Christ. It's still the church of the living God. Amen. Praise God. So why they were facing the punishment of God and they were in this land of Babylon, they still are the church of God. Praise God. So let's talk about the church of God in Babylon. And we have to keep in mind that Babylon was a world superpower at this time. There were people from all the conquered nations represented in this particular part of the world at that time. All these people bowed themselves to Haman. In other words, you know, just think about basically what was happening was here is a king, Ahasuerus, who conquered the world and in his kingdom and around his palace, there were representatives of all these nations. And so you could say that the whole world was bowing to Haman. The whole world made reverence to this man. They acknowledged his power, his greatness, etc. Except for one man. A Jew by the name of Mordecai. Hallelujah. <laughs> you see, it's not the first time that the world demands worship. Babylon demands worship from the whole world. We remember in the time of King Nebuchadnezzar, the Bible says all nations, everybody, everywhere. And we know his, his kingdom, his empire stretched across the earth, the known world at that time. Whenever they would hear the music playing, they were all supposed to bow down to his image. Guess who spoiled the party? Jews. Three Hebrew children. The Jews have a, a record, a track record, of spoiling the party for these megalomaniacs who demand worship. You know why? Not because they belong to a certain ethnicity called Jew, but because they are the church of the living God. Satan will always want the world to worship him. And there will always be a church to say, no, we worship only Jesus. We only worship the Lord our God and him only will we serve. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> you see how mad he became? Haman, Haman, some call him Haman, Haman. Um, the man was incensed, infuriated. I mean, he has the whole world worshipping. If he saw, you know, a Middle Easterner, they would bow to him. An African would bow to him. White person, bow to him. Because they ruled over the whole earth. But then why, why is there this one Jew? What is special about these people? Or what is wrong with these people? 
that they don't understand that they should bow to somebody like Haman. Doesn't he know that the king himself commanded everyone to bow down to Haman? <laughs> yes, we know. Yes, we know that the Antichrist will also command all people everywhere to worship him. But let it be written, let it be known. There is always a people <laughs> who belong to the church of Jesus Christ. Who only bow down to the name of Jesus. For it says at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is God. Hallelujah. Amen. And Haman had no peace. Aren't you satisfied that 99.99999% of the world is buying down to you? He said, no. Because the devil is never happy until the people of God, Christians, will bow down to him. Please understand what is going on here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't you think that Mordecai knew that by not bowing down and reverencing this terrible man, a Haman, that he was endangering his own nation? You bet. He knew fully well that he was endangering his people. So we need to ask ourselves, why is he doing this? Why is he, you know, infuriating Haman? Something... Terrible will soon befall his people. And let me make it clear at the outset. You see, we can never compromise with sin. Because when you give it an inch, as the saying goes, it demands a yard. Give it a yard, it demands a, dem demands a mile. There is no compromise with sin. The church of Jesus Christ will not even look down on the ground when, Mordek, when, when Haman comes and says, bow down. We are not even going to lower our eyes to sin in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You see, let me share some biblical uh, information or knowledge or background story here because this is extremely important in understanding why Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman. You see, Mordecai is an apt and metaphorical symbol of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today. As I said, we too must refuse to bow down to Haman. Why? Because Mordecai knew Haman was an Agagite. I say, what? What did I just hear? Yeah. Uh, you see, let's turn to the book of Esther, chapter 23 and verse 10. The book of Esther, chapter 23 and verse 10. Uh, oh, sorry, chapter 2 and verse 10. I correct. Chapter 2 and verse 10. The book of Esther, chapter uh, 2, let me get this straight. I'm just double-checking uh, the scriptures here. No, there's something not right here. Uh, if somebody could just help me find the scripture, it says, And the king took his ring 
from his hand and gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamedetta, the Agagite, the Jew's enemy. Aha. Uh, just think about this. I'll just find the scripture quickly. I think I've uh, entered the wrong scripture there. But understand this, what the Bible has just... Okay, this is chapter 3. Uh, no, uh, chapter 3 and verse 10. Chapter 3 and verse 10. Thank you. Listen. Here lies the clue to why our friend Mordecai refused to countenance the very sight of this Haman. Haman was an Agagite. There's a clue there. Who is an Agagite? You see, Mordecai knew the story of his forefathers, of his God, of the Bible. He knows who his God is. He knows who his friends are. He knows who his enemies are. You see, there was a time in the, in the days of Moses of old. And let's turn now to the book of Exodus chapter 17 and verse 16. Exodus chapter 17 and verse 16. The Bible says that God proclaimed this to Moses. God said, for he said, because the Lord had sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. There you go. God swore to have war with Amalek. Therefore, no one can make peace with Amalek. We are not at liberty to make peace with Amalek. He said, what's that got to do with Agagite? I'm glad you asked. I'm building up the case here. So you see, let's turn now to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15 and verse 9. I know several scriptures, but... Uh, we need to establish this with biblical evidence. Otherwise, we may think that Mordecai was being selfish. He, he in fact, was uh, basically a narcissist, doesn't care about his people. No, no, no. He knew what he was doing. First Samuel 15 verse 9 says, But Saul and the people spared Agag. There you go. That's the person we were looking for. And the best of the sheep and of the oxen, of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refused, that they destroyed utterly. Now, for those of you who know your Bibles and you should know this, let's begin once again with God who said he will have war with Amalek. Why? Amalek represented a, a people who basically were committed to the, uh, you know, destruction of Israel. I mean, the, these, for me, the spirit that was in Amalek was the spirit that was in Hitler, in the Nazis, if you will. It's like trying to, for a, it's like a Jew trying to reason with a Nazi today. Well, what's there to reason with a Nazi about? It's very clear that they want to destroy Jews. They built gas chambers, isn't it? They're, they're, their purpose is crystal clear. So, Amalek, the Bible says, he attacked Israel in Rephidim. 
in Exodus 17, verse 18. In fact, Amalek went after the weak part of Israel. He was a coward. He attacked, he picked on the weak and constantly was a thorn in the flesh of Israel. So in the days of King Saul, God said, okay, the people asked for a king. That was not his plan, but now that they've asked for a king, okay, uh, he will use the king to fulfill his purposes. And one of them is go to war against Amalek. But you know what happened? Saul did not understand this history that Mordecai understood. Because let's look at 1 Samuel 15, verse 2 and 3. 1 Samuel 15, verses 2 and 3. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. So God told Saul through Samuel, Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Now, listen carefully. Agag was a descendant of Amalek. And King Saul did not really wipe out all the, uh, you know, the Amalekites. He saved their king. We don't know who else he saved. It was left to Samuel, the prophet, to kill Agag. That was not the job of the prophet. That's the job of the king. But the king failed in his mission. So why did the people ask for a king if you can't even, if you can't see who the enemies of God are? And now what happens many years later? There is a new descendant of Amalek by the name of Haman. What the Bible is trying to tell us is very clear, brothers and sisters. We would ignore the message of the Bible at our own peril. Listen, today perhaps there are no Amalekites alive. There are no Hamans, there are no Agags. But I'll tell you what, the spirit that was in Amalek is well and alive today. It hates the church. It follows the church. Wherever the church goes. The church was in Rephidim. Near Mount Sinai. Amalek was there. To trouble them. To destroy them. The church was in the land of Canaan. In the time of Saul. Amalek was there. The church is now in Babylon. Persia. Amalek is there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Amalek is the devil. Amalek is sin. You have to know wherever the church goes, Amalek is there. He has only one intention. He wants us to bow down to him. He wants us to compromise with sin. Everybody else in Babylon, the whole world is bowed down to him. Why is the church of Jesus not bowing down? Even King Saul bowed down. Why are you not buying down Haman? Are you a king? Thank God. So mostly God does not use kings. He uses prophets like Samuel. He uses nobodies like Mordecai. Hallelujah. You and I are Mordecai today in Jesus' name. We, this message is to, uh, you know, fortify our 
our resolution, our decision to never bow down to sin. Fight with sin in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. See, God is saying, it's not that Amalek never hurt Israel. Sin may hurt the church. Yes, Amalek may trouble us. But God said, I will have war forever with Amalek. Can we say we, God wants war with Amalek? God wants us to have war with sin in Jesus. Are you with me now? Say, ah, now we understand where you go. Yeah, I'm not uh, asking for physical war. <laughs> no, <laughs> we are not Malcolm X's. We, we're not by any means necessary. No. Or praise the Lord and pass the gun. We are, our enemies are in the spiritual realms. The biggest enemy we have is within us. It's the nature of sin in the name of Jesus. You know, if you kill every enemy, I mean, uh, how long has the world existed? How many wars? They're still continuing. There's no external enemy besides Satan. But even when Satan has been bound by Jesus and put in the bottomless pit, the Bible says at the end of a thousand years, the people will rebel against God. Do you think there is no sin when Satan is bound? Of course there is still sin. Who made Satan sin in the beginning? Who made Lucifer sin? Let's all say Satan made Satan sin. Lucifer, the devil could never say, oh, you know, it was, uh, I don't know, Gabriel, God forbid. Who? Who made you sin? You say it's Lucifer who made Lucifer sin. You don't need Satan to sin. But he's a very good helper. He's a very good facilitator. There is enough of rebellion in each and every one of us. There is enough of Amalek in every one of us. May Jesus help us. I'm speaking today about the church fighting in Babylon. Amen. Until we are in the kingdom of God, I mean, physically, uh, literally, we are in Babylon. There is a war in Babylon. Amalek is in Babylon. Haman is in Babylon. Beware that you do not bow down to him. In particular, I wish I could speak to young people, but they, they are elsewhere except where they should be. We are praying for the young people. You see, Amalek will always find Mordecai. He will always find King Saul. He will always find Moses. He's always looking for the people of God. We don't want to meet him. We have nothing to do with him. When they were in, at Mount Sinai, who knew Amalek is around? When they're in the land of Canaan, you know, of course, he's known to hang around in those areas, but suddenly he's around. And of all places, Babylon, Persia, who knew there would be an Agagite, a son, a descendant of Amalek. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is let us understand where the real threat is to the church. It is a sinful nature that is in us. Of course, there's a devil. But it's easy to tell the devil, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. But have you ever tried to tell your sinful nature, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus? We don't normally do that. Yeah? Because the sinful nature is not an entity like Satan that can be bound. You just have to suppress it. You have to kill it. Praise God in Jesus' name. 
through prayer, through fasting, etc., etc. Amen. So first thing is we need to know. Let it be clear beyond a shadow of doubt in everyone's mind who's a Christian. If you call yourself a Christian, a spiritual Jew, a Mordecai, rest assured, Haman is coming your way. Amalek is coming your way. He doesn't like you one bit. doesn't like me one bit. No matter what else he achieves in this world, Satan is angry today in his uh, abode, wherever it may be. Why? says, as long as there is that Jew, as long as there is that Mordecai who doesn't bow down to me, as long everybody is drinking, everybody is taking drugs, everybody is fornicating, except that Jew, that Mordecai, except the apostolic church that Jesus alone people. The devil is not sleeping well. <laughs> Hallelujah. But we will stand, everybody say, stand tall, stand tall. We don't bow down. We look we look Haman in the eye. The church looks sin in the eye and says, try to force me to bow down because I'm not going to bow down to you. I wish you the best. I stand here. Here I stand. So help me God in Jesus' name. Praise God. May God give us the spirit of Mordecai. You know, sometimes when I look around at how uh, quote-unquote common, normal, Obvious, this is natural, sin has become, and people gloat, and they look at me, it's like, but what's wrong with you? I mean, everybody's drinking, everybody. Listen, I stand here, I refuse to bow down to King Alcohol, in Jesus' name. I've never worshipped that king. I have never deferred to him or shown him any reference. What do you think of King Alcohol? I hate him. Is that your message for King Alcohol? Yes. I can give it to you in writing in Jesus' name. Why do people of this world become so arrogant when they talk to us and act like we are the weird ones? We need to stand tall like Mordecai. Amen. We don't need to intimidate them. But listen, you are coming to my space. I happen to come here every day. You know me. You know what I stand for. You know my heritage. You know which church I belong to. You know which king I serve. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. And I will never bow down to your sin in Jesus' name. I pray that God will give us this, this spiritual violence in Jesus' name. So Jesus said, the kingdom of God suffered violence. The viol that means you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven until you get violent with sin in Jesus' name. Not physical violence. Again, don't misunderstand. Spiritual violence. We're going to go on a fast. We're going to chase out this Amalek in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, we live in a world, we live in a time, brothers and sisters, unless you have this kind of spirit of Mordecai, you will find yourself not only bowing down to Amalek, you will be groveling before him. God have mercy upon us. I don't need to name sins. Let's just metaphorically call all of them the children of Amalek. That is it. In Jesus' name. Sin is the Amalek that we fight every day. And we must kill this Amalek every day in Jesus' name. Sin cannot be spared like Saul spared Agag. It, must, it cannot be appeased. Because if you do that, it is like Haman. 
it will return more powerfully and seek your destruction. It's better to destroy it when it's weak in Jesus' name. Do not spare the sword. Run it through the neck of Amalek and Agag and then he will not rise again. But if you spare him, if you spare him, look, what, what, did, what did Saul gain by sparing Agag? Agag lived, or Agag's descendants lived to have children, and somehow Haman came. God have mercy. Do not let one sin escape, if possible, in Jesus' name. You say, are you asking us to do the impossible? Listen, it's not me. It's not. The Bible says, Jesus said it. Amen. Paul said it. Paul told the Corinthians. He said, I die daily. Amen. Die. Who's killing you? Paul is killing Paul. Hallelujah. Paul is killing the sinful Paul. In 1 Corinthians 15.31. 1 Corinthians 15.31. The apostle Paul says. I protest by your rejoicing. Which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. Oh hallelujah. Come on. There is an Agag to kill each and every day. There is an Amalek to kill each and every day in Jesus' name. Don't go looking for other enemies. <laughs> there are plenty Amalekites living in us in Jesus' name. Go to war against your own sinful nature in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. So, the lesson is crystal clear for the church. God has commanded us to fight sin. We cannot bow down or compromise with sin. The book of Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Notice the difference. When it comes to sin, the Bible uses the word wages. Why wages? Because there is labor that goes before wages. Everyone who works knows that you work in the hope of receiving a salary. All labor will trigger wages. So the Bible makes it clear that those who labor for sin will surely receive their wages. There will come a payday. And you know what that pay slip says? It says, you die. God have mercy. Imagine receiving a salary slip that says, I pay you death. God have mercy. But that is what people are doing when they choose sin. And they are laboring to sin, towards sin. Just as we all who work know that at some juncture, at some set day, you receive a paycheck. And you look through and you'll know what you've been doing. In the same way, sin receives a payslip. And the payslip says death. Make no mistake. This is not Brother Paul speaking. This is the other Paul, the man of God who is an apostle of God. The wages of sin is death. May God have mercy upon us.
May God have mercy upon us. This message is to help us to once again be conscious, clearly conscious of the theology of the Bible, the burden of God, the expectation of God from our lives. He paid the price. If you doubt that sin's wages are death, then look at the cross. That's actually our payslip, brothers and sisters. Jesus took our payslip so that we don't have to get such a payslip. That should not be our payday in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Just as the physical or mental labor receives a salary on a set day, I said, rest assured that sin never forgets. Sin will not skip payday. Mordecai knew that a far worse judgment would come on him and his people if he bowed down to Haman. I'm speaking to all of us and anyone. If sin is tempting you, listen to them. We know what Haman did to King David. We know what sin did in the lives of many people of God. I beg you in Jesus' name, I'll pray, I'll pray for you and you pray for me that we will never be tempted to bow down even a finger to Haman in Jesus' name. Never in Jesus' name. Because worse will happen. Give him an inch, he takes a yard in the name of Jesus. Let's all determine, brothers and sisters, we will continue to live a holy life. We accept the war against Amalek will be forever and ever. Hallelujah. Because this is a war that God wants in Jesus' name. Against the flesh, against sin in Jesus' name. Tell sin in your life. I may be struggling. Sometimes you frustrate me, but I am declaring a war in Jesus' name. The, uh, the war that God declared on Amalek in Jesus' name. And God will be with me. Jesus paid the price. I have the Holy Ghost. Amen. I will mortally wound you in Jesus' name. Praise God. Speak to sin. Let it cower before you and leave in Jesus' name. Praise God. Jesus is always able and willing to deliver his church from the harmons of this world. But woe to the church if it bows down to or demonstrates any fear of sin, any fear of anything other than the word of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. In Jesus' name. Today's Babylons, or today's modern Babylon, also has its harmons, its idols, which demand reverence, deference, and worship. The Apostle Paul warned us about some of these idols of the last days. Do you want us to name some of them? Let's go to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 2 to 6. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 2 to 6. Listen to what the Holy Apostle of God says. For men, that includes women, shall be lovers of their own sins. Here is Haman number one. Isn't it interesting when he singled out? He, uh, if you want to consider this a hierarchy of Hamans, well, 
The number one Haman of our day is lovers of their own selves. Does that not sound like King Nebuchadnezzar building a, an idol of himself in the desert? I pray in Jesus' name that we will destroy this idol in the name of Jesus. If somebody else builds an idol of you, please bombard it into pieces in Jesus' name. Tell them it's written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Amen. May God help us to efface ourselves. May the Lord help us to not build idols to ourselves in Jesus' name, but to Jesus. Then he says, they will be covetous. Look at that word there, covetous. That basically means greedy. They have an insatiable appetite to own things, to possess things, and there will be envy in the process. They will covet their neighbor's possessions, neighbor's wife, neighbor's whatever. Covetous. Keep this in mind. Why do you think we have billboards advertising all over the place? Because they know we are covetous. The humans are covetous. I remember seeing an advertisement years ago with a smartly dressed person. I forget which company, which uh, suit it was. But the guy stood there looking straight into my eyes as I, you know, the car drove by. A big billboard, uh, busy uh, metropolitan city. And it said, uh, you deserve better. And I remember looking at it and thinking, I deserve better. That, that's a... A very diabolical message it left in my... And I was thinking, oh, uh, am I wearing the wrong clothes? Have I been shortchanged? I should be wearing a Hugo Boss suit or, or whatever. doesn't matter whether, whether I can afford it or not. This is covetousness. May God deliver us from covetousness. Bolsters. Bolsters. Proud. Blasphemers. Listen. Blasphemers. Paul said in the last days, that's how they're going to be. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. I wish some young people were here. Unthankful. Unholy. Unholy. Unthankful. Whenever I'm with my children or someone, they may not be my children, and we ask a stranger for directions or question someone and we get some answer I get surprised if the person with me does not say thank you I, I really don't understand that I almost want to apologize on, on their behalf and say uh, uh, thank you so much really appreciate your help it may not sound like much the person may not even be expecting to be thanked but listen we are the people of God if anybody should know anything about gratitude, it should be we. It reveals something about the Jesus in us. If we encroach into someone's uh, private space and we take their time, don't, don't think that you own their time. We have a right to this. Say thank you. Amen. Praise God. Do not be unthankful. The Bible says unholy. Yes, we live in a time where people 
could go around naked. Our major newspapers in Norway actually carry, I mean, these are supposed to be the serious newspapers that even children read. I noticed that they carry stories about how to actually, uh, you know, they'll give you information about what is called swingers club. You don't even want to know what that is. These are people, people basically who are either married or have partners, whatever, and, and they actually will tell you where you can go and basically all of you get together and have a sexual orgy in our main newspapers. These are, there's no longer any difference, by the way, you know, between those, uh, you remember, the, the, uh, sometimes they would go into petrol stations and you, you want to complain about these pornographic magazines just right behind the counter. And you're paying and you look up, you want to talk to the guy and you're seeing those magazines behind Nowadays, there's no difference between the two. It's all over in the major newspapers. Mainstream newspapers would be carrying those kinds of stories, supposedly advising you about that environment, that it's actually a, a nice way to live, and mainstream newspapers. So what does the Bible say? Unholy. In the last days, it will be normal. We can't deny it. the words of the Apostle Paul have been fulfilled. Then it goes on to say, without natural affection. Truth breakers. They don't know. There's no honor in breaking covenants and pacts. Truth breakers. False accusers. Incontinent. Notice that word incontinent. Basically means somebody who cannot control, especially their sexual urges. Can't control their bodies. May God have mercy. In the church, we have to call a spade a spade. We should not leave people in any doubt or any suspense. They should know what sin is. Fierce despisers of those that are good. Listen, when you want to live a holy life, you want to be good in the sight of God, you will have many who will despise you and hate you. Next, he goes on to say traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Anyone doubt that? Lovers of pleasures? Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of... Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. The Apostle Paul said turn away from such. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts. God have mercy. If there's a woman who lives this way, then the, prophet, the man of God has already prophesied about this kind of life. You need to know you're a sinner. You need to cry for your soul. You need to pray for deliverance in Jesus' name. You need to declare war against Amalek in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. May God help us. I'm not here today condemning anyone. I, I'm, not here, I'm not even thinking about what sins or so, you know, weaknesses you may have. I am just saying that there is zero compromise with sin, with Hama. That is the principle of the church. We don't know any other doctrine. And if anyone compromises that doctrine, then it's a cult. It is a dangerous sect. We are not a sect. If you check, check sects like uh, Jimmy Jones, the guy in 1978 who took all his followers with him to Guyana and apparently they all committed suicide, but we know 
That was not the case. He had so brainwashed these people, he controlled them. He could do whatever he wanted with them. He was having children here and there, sleeping with many women. And they, they even found out that he was uh, a drug addict. And that he even was uh, you know, doing acts. Uh, he revealed his uh, genitals, to put it straight, to a police officer, undercover police officer, FBI agent. So he was deprived in every way. And the FBI decided to hide that, to cover that, rather than prosecuting. Who was this man, Jimmy Jones? He was uh, a Baptist preacher, very charismatic preacher in the 50s, 60s. He was a man who apparently truly believed in equality between the races. Many of his members were black during the civil rights era, imagine. A white man. And how did it end? You see, how do you know you're in a sect or in a cult? Because they preach the Bible selectively. You should look at their lives and what they're doing. It's a hypocrisy. Are they themselves? You know, it's like all animals are equal. You remember George Orwell's Animal Farm. It was a satire on communism. All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. That's when you know you are being led by a cult leader. The same goes for the moon church. The same goes for the, you know, uh, all, all sorts of people I could name, but uh, we will be, you know, digressing. Listen, the true people of God will always speak like the Apostle Paul. I die daily. I die daily. I keep my body under subjection so that I myself would not be a cast away, a shipwreck. God will throw me out of his kingdom. I don't want that. So I need to challenge myself. I need to challenge sin in myself and in everybody in Jesus' name. Only then will God help us. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Mordecai was not a cult leader. He was a man who truly upheld the highest biblical principles. And for that, you get into trouble with a sinful world. You know, the devil always goes for the strongest. He goes for Moses. He goes for an Abraham. He goes for a Peter. He goes for a Paul. That's how he is. But thank God they did not bow to this Amalek in Jesus' name. Let us pray and determine to never bow down to all these Hamans that the Apostle Paul has named in our days. When you see people trying to promote themselves and tell you, you, you know, you, you need to have a, a website of your, you know, just for you to praise yourself. Listen, unless it's in connection with your job and it's required or whatever, uh, if it's just as a private person that you need to somehow praise yourself, uh, we don't need that. We need to practice self-effacement. We need to practice the like, like John the Baptist. We need to emulate the example of John the Baptist. He must increase and I must decrease. Amen. Who are you? Give us a name. I am the voice crying in the wilderness of voice. He refused to give his name because he doesn't want anyone to bow down to his name. Only bow down to Jesus. We must be voiceless and nameless, but we must name the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God in Jesus' name. There's no better way to put it, amen, than that. Otherwise, if we become so big and so famous and later, what happens? 
It's like these, uh, speak, speaking of cults, sects, I'm thinking of those uh, Nation of Islam people in New York and the, you know, they still exist. But uh, in the time of, they had a guy called Elijah Muhammad. I mean, these guys couldn't say anything without saying, as the Honorable Elijah Muhammad has taught us, excuse me, the Honorable who? Elijah Muhammad. The man was supposed to be divine. The man was supposed to be uh, infallible. Later they found he had children left and right. He was abusing, sexually abusing young women. This was a cult. It took some time before people like Malcolm X found out, but the story is they shot him. My point is not the political, but listen, once you begin to use a name too often, we're in trouble. Can we agree on that? The Honorable Elijah Muhammad. The Honorable, they couldn't say a word without and if you stop using his name, you're a danger to the so-called honorable Elijah Muhammad. Uh, we are not in the business of praising a human being. I, oh, it may sound strange. I tell people I'm happy when people just, sometimes I hear people criticizing me. say, oh, thank you. I love that. You know why? I'm not crazy. It keeps me humble. It makes me realize this is better for you rather than everybody praising you because you'll get into trouble. Whoa. It's me. If everybody speaks well, something is not right. May Jesus get all the glory. And may I get all the criticism. <laughs> I'm happy. Praise God. I think you understand what I'm trying to say. It's not that I'm looking to be unpopular and people to attack me. That's very easy to do, by the way. But no, I would rather be humble and be critiqued and go to heaven than to be very famous. And then one day... Jesus is not happy because like Herod I don't give the glory to Jesus and everybody is just mentioning your name the honorable Elijah Muhammad God have mercy uh, nothing honorable there so they had no love for people they had only love for certain people look I'm black but please understand Jesus didn't make colors he made Adam and Eve we're all from the dust. Isn't God amazing that from the dust he could make white people and black people and brown people and all shades in between? That's for me the biggest miracle. Hallelujah. <laughs> from the same dust. Can we all say we're all from the same dust? Amen. So there, there can't be a race better than another race. What do you mean? The soil, the earth in the USA is better than the earth in China? Is that what you're saying? Yes, and that's not rational. If we believe from dust thou art and to dust shall thou return, I think we can solve the problem of racism by just remembering the origin of the so-called races. You want to treat the dust that is in Europe better than the dust in Africa? Why? Why? Uh, or you believe the dust in Africa is better than Europe? Why? Irrational. We go back to dust. Praise God. What is important is where our soul is going, where our spirits are going. In heaven, there's no black, white, green, etc. We are all as the angels on that. So don't let the devil make you too preoccupied in the in a spiritual sense is what I'm speaking about. Of course, in this earth, humans make their own uh, walked, uh, you know, uh, uh, philosophies. Our job is to ridicule that. Pull it down in Jesus' name. Say there's no difference between the race. We are all... Brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen.
Every soul needs salvation in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. So let me come back to the message. We may be in Babylon, but we are not of Babylon. In the same manner that the children of Israel were foreigners in Babylon. We have to emulate the example of Mordecai. Mordecai, by the way, made it his business to be in close proximity to the palace. You know, you can excuse uh, Mordecai for thinking the guy had no job. He had a you know, problem with his free time or what. He seems to be always standing there. Is he a, 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 you know, working as a janitor there? Or is he a watchman? Why is he always there? Listen, this was very strategic on his part. He was a spiritual watchman for Esther and for his own people. Oh, God, bless this man. Amen. He made it his business to be a spiritual watchman for Esther and for his own people. By taking up this position near the palace, he could monitor some of the most important events taking place. He warned the king when there was a plot to assassinate the king. Imagine. He had no hatred in his heart towards the king Ahasuerus, who basically was a dictator of the time. Though, you know, his people ultimately enslaved his people or, or brought them into captivity. But you see, when he heard that there was a plot to assassinate the king, he immediately told the king. You know why? Because Mordecai obeyed what God said through the prophet Jeremiah, that when you go to Babylon, seek the welfare of Babylon. Do not undermine Babylon. This did not sound, this sounded like a you know, counterproductive message, but we must obey the Lord and his prophets. We are built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Hallelujah. But the first order of business that Mordecai had in the palace was he was a conduit. He was a reminder, a point of contact between Esther and her great heritage. He was the only reminder of the great covenant that God had with Abraham. Whenever Esther, remember who is Esther, an orphan, but he was her uncle. And somehow when he came to know that she is rising in the ranks in Babylon and she is actually about to become queen of Babylon. Wow. Let me tell you. Wherever the people of God go, God's favors with us. God will bless us if we are faithful. Don't be surprised if you'll find us rising in the ranks in Babylon. Amen. And God was, while Haman was preparing to destroy the Jews, God was already working in the palace. God is never late. You can never surprise him. Praise God. This is what Haman did not know. Mordecai knew something that Haman did not know. Haman, Mordecai must have looked at him and said, you, you have a plan, don't you? You're going to wipe out my people, yeah? But I'll tell you what. I have a plan too. God has a plan. I couldn't bring this about, but God did it. In the palace, right now, I have a secret that you don't know about. And soon you're about to find out. Praise God. The devil thinks he's smarter than us. He may be, but he's not smarter than Jesus. So when people are trying to, you know, connive and calculate behind our backs, God is already raising up an Esther 
in the palace. In Jesus' name, praise God. When they strike, Esther is there. Hallelujah. Esther will fast with us. Amen. We have a weapon in the palace. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. That the world does not know about. We are not helpless. In Jesus' name, praise God. Hallelujah. I've had some people sometimes ask me, how do you know that person? That's for you to guess, amen. For you to find out. Praise God. Amen. We have our secrets. Praise God. You see, the king did not even know she was Jewish. <laughs> yeah, God is amazing. I mean, he is the king. He thinks he's the king. He knows everything. How about this? King, do you even know that your wife is Jewish? Ah, oh, no idea. How easy it would have been for her, for Esther to forget her spiritual heritage and worship the gods and the ways of Babylon. It's so easy. But you know what? God did not allow her to forget who she was. Even though they may have painted her face, she may have seen she's being exposed to some horrible things in the palace. Whenever her heart became heavy and she longs to breathe the spiritual air of Jerusalem, she can go out into the balcony and lo and behold, down there she sees Mordecai. Hallelujah. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, you better learn to appreciate your brothers and sisters. If not, <laughs> imagine the situation that Esther was in. A woman of God. We have to say she was a woman of God. She fasted. She said, if I perish, I perish. This is a woman of God. She's holy. Otherwise, God will not give her a book called the book of Esther in Jesus' name. How many people do we have called Esther today? She's a woman of God. God knows where his people are. Some of them are found in very strange places, but they are there. Amen. Hallelujah. And uh, she needed to have a brother, a sister. We all need a brother. We all need a sister. I thank God for all of you. And I hope you thank Jesus for me. Because just to see the face of Mordecai, that was the only church she had. Ah, I feel like crying for him. Sometimes the only church you have is to see a Mordecai. Ah, and I hope if you are the only Mordecai for Esther, stand strong, brother. Stand strong, sister. When you call a brother or sister who's isolated somewhere, you are playing the role of Mordecai. Mordecai used to send messages to Esther. How are you? Amen. Shalom. Shalom Alechem. Hadassah. Her name was Hadassah. He knows her real name. They called her Esther in Babylon, but her name was Hadassah. Hadassah, how are you, my daughter? Ah, oh, praise God. Amen. Baruch Hashem. Hallelujah. You must have replied. Oh, praise God. Praise the God of Israel. Amen. I'm okay by your prayers, Mordecai. Oh, Jesus, help us. We need a Mordecai. We need a Mordecai. Everyone needs a Mordecai. Because the palace may be full of luxury, but it is a spiritual desert. A spiritual desert. What is the use of being in the palace of Sushan? And there's no Mordecai to remind you of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To remind you of Moses, hallelujah, to remind you of a David. Has God forgotten us, Mordecai? No. I believe in Jeremiah's prophecy. Seventy years are determined in Babylon. And God will visit us, Hadassah. 
Praise God. We need somebody to remind us of the word of God. Somebody who believes in it when we may struggle to believe. Has God forgotten us? There's a new generation, Mordecai. They speak only the Babylonian language. They have become rich in Babylon. Do you think they will ever go back to the Holy Land? After 70 years, yes, Hadassah, amen. Our God is not a man that he should lie. All his words are yea and amen, praise God. Jesus said he will return. Is there a Mordecai who will shout and say, yes, he will return. In the clouds, praise God, with the archangel shall descend, amen, hallelujah, with a shout, the trump of God, amen. The dead in Christ will rise, amen. And we which are alive and remain, hallelujah, will be caught up to meet them in the clouds. And so shall we evermore be with the Lord. Is there a Mordecai who will say that to Esther? Praise God. I will pray at the end that we will be a Mordecai for someone. Where did this man get his strength from? The God of Israel. Jesus. Hallelujah. He stood there. He was the strength of Esther. He was the strength of his people, the Jews. And at the same time, he was a nemesis. He tormented Haman. May God make us a torment of sin in Jesus' name. A torment of the descendants of Amalek in the name of Jesus. And a comforter to the people of God in Jesus' name. So, the church may be an orphan in Babylon like Esther. But our Jesus has not abandoned us. Just as God did not abandon this orphan called Esther. Just as Esther was raised in favor to become queen of the world's superpower, the Lord will bless and favor us in this world. Can somebody shout amen? Remember the scripture we, which was our key verse last weekend, Ezekiel 11 verse 16. Let me read it again to remind us. Therefore say, God told Ezekiel, Thus saith the Lord God, Although I have cast them far off among the heathen, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet will I be to them as a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. Oh, hallelujah. Did God not keep his promise to the exiles in Babylon? Was he not a little sanctuary to Esther, to Mordecai, and to the Jewish nation? Can we say amen? Amen. God is faithful. God is faithful. Finally, the day came. Now I want to hop from here. We know the story. God always wins. Say with me. God always wins. That's the end of the story. We don't need to say, did this story end well? Of course, if you walk, if, if you're called Esther and Mordecai, how do you think it ends? It ends well, praise God. See, but let's Fast forward some more years, 70 years finishing. The day came when the generation of Mordecai could return back to the Holy Land after 70 years of captivity as prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah. Let's look at this prophecy. Jeremiah 29 verse 10. Jeremiah 29 verse 10. Listen, my job is to teach the Bible and to enlighten the people of God about these treasures in the word of God. So that we will not be in confusion. We will be solid like Mordecai 
The man was filled with the knowledge of God, which was the reason he was immovable in Jesus' name. So Jeremiah 29, 10 says, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished in Babylon, I will visit you. Oh, wow. That's the best visit we want, eh? God to visit us. And perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. Praise God. So now imagine, 70 years have gone. There was a new generation born and bred in Babylon. They spoke the language of Babylon, were familiar with the customs of Babylon. Let me remind you that many of them had flourished reputationally and financially in Babylon. But now what happened? Suddenly, the book of Ezra, chapter 1 and verse 1, Ezra 1 and uh, chapter 1, verse 1, we read the following. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing. And we know what that proclamation was. He said, the God of heaven told him, wow, do you know that 150 years before King Cyrus was born, and I'm not... Uh, uh, exaggerating here. 150 years before King Cyrus was born, God prophesied through the mouth of the prophet Isaiah. Imagine that. His name before he was born 150 years. Look at Isaiah 45 verse 1. Did you know this is one of the big miracles of the Bible? That this reveals, ascertains the uh, divine nature of the Bible. Isaiah 45 verse 1 says, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, excuse me, Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him. I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaf gates and the gates shall not be shut. So, just a moment. When did Isaiah live? Imagine, around the year 700. And when did this king Cyrus live? He lived between 600 to 530 BC. That's why I said almost, you know, by the time he was made aware of the prophecy of Isaiah, this is what tradition says, that somebody came to him, probably Jews, and said, excuse me, sir, uh, emperor, your highness, your excellence, your whatever, your, 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 your. Uh, the God of heaven, he actually prophesied your name 150 years before this point. And he already prophesied that you are going to allow the Jewish people to go back to their country. Imagine. So look at Isaiah 50, 45 verse 4. Isaiah 45 verse 4. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. Look at this. He's still speaking to Cyrus. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. How about that, brothers and sisters? Did you know this? Ah, you should give a shout, I mean, of hallelujah to Jesus. Because over minimum 100 years before this man existed, God declared through Isaiah, you don't know me, Cyrus, but you are my servant. I'm calling you by name. Wow. And 
God, in fact, lets him know, praise God, that he is the chosen one. Amen. If there's such a term as a chosen one, praise God. He is chosen. Amen. To send the people of God home. Praise God. And sure enough, he was the man, hallelujah, who signed a decree, as I just read, because he in fact said that the God of heaven told him to do this. Praise God. What a wonderful testament. What a mighty God. Praise God. So this is one of the powerful uh, prophecies in the Bible. Way, way before man was born. And this is not the first time. Remember the prophet who came to Josiah's grave. and uh, to, to, to the grave of Jeroboam. And what did he say? He said a prophet by the name. Uh, not Jeroboam's grave. The, but there was Jeroboam who was basically, uh, you know, in the graveyard doing nonsense. And the prophet came and began to prophesy to those graves. And he told them, he said, uh, a prophet, a man, a king by the name of Josiah will be born. Do you know that he was, it was 300 years before he was born? 300 years before, God mentioned his name. Wow, wow, praise God. Isn't this amazing? What a mighty God we serve. And sometimes we say, Lord, do you know me? Do you know that I exist? Do you know I have problems? God say, before the creation of the world, I knew you. I knew you by name. You are the apple of my eye. Imagine God is speaking to a pagan king and saying, you're my servant. You will do my well. You will say, Jerusalem be rebuilt. How about us? We are not pagans. We are not Babylonians. We are the children of the living God. We have repented. We have put, been baptized in Jesus' name. We have, are filled with the Holy Ghost. Don't you think he knows our names? <laughs> Very much so. Praise God. Do you know Jesus even knows the name by which we will be called in heaven? You don't know that name. I don't know that. But he calls us by that name. What a mighty God. What a powerful God. Can we just shout hallelujah? Can we just lift up our voices for a moment? Say, Jesus, we bless you. Jesus, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Uh, King David said, amen. We rejoice um, in your, uh, your, your foreknowledge, my God. We rejoice in your omniscience, my God. What a mighty God indeed, amen. That's why we can't stop worshiping you, praising you. This is wonderful. This is profound. This blesses our souls. Hallelujah. We lift you up. Lift you up. Lift you up, Jesus. Amen. So what happened now? Here is our friend Mordecai. I want to bring this to an end, hopefully, with a climax. Amen. So that we can even shout hallelujah. But you see, once the Persian king Cyrus signed the decree, because he believed that God already mentioned his name in the book of Isaiah. I just showed it to you. There was a huge decision for the Jews to make now. All those Jews who became rich, had businesses, were famous, had government positions. Suddenly now, they all had to get together. They were scratching their heads and they said, my goodness, what our fathers told us has happened. We are free to go back to Jerusalem. I wonder how many were unable to make that decision. I said, nah, it's too big a step to leave Babylon. But I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing. And this story is beautiful. The way, I mean, it ends with our friend Mordecai. 
You see, all that they had was faith. You have to have faith when you serve God. There's nothing else. They built new lives in Babylon. And now they must have been thinking, oh, are we going to go back? Jerusalem is in a mess. The whole of Israel is in a mess. What are we going to do? But you see, when you have the promises of God, that's all you need. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 33 to 35. What a mighty promises God gave. Thus saith the Lord God. In the day that I shall have cleansed you from all your iniquities, I will also cause you to dwell in the cities and the waste shall be builded and the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas it lay desolate in the sight of all that passed by. And they shall say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden and the waste and desolate and ruined cities are become fenced and are inhabited. Oh, praise God. That was all they had to take back with them to the land of Israel. Thank God many Jews decided to return despite flourishing in Babylon. No wonder, and listen carefully, no wonder God wrote their names in his book. God wrote their names. I was mentioning to the church yesterday, I sometimes would read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah and others and wonder, do I really have to read all these names, all these families who went back? You see, what this is pointing to is when a Christian will repent of sin and say, I'm going to go back to Jesus. Then God writes your name in his book in heaven. You are leaving Babylon. You are returning. Hallelujah. That's why you should read those names. And let's read some of those names, which will surprise you. Ezra, turn with me to Ezra chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You may wonder what happened to Mordecai, this great stalwart of the faith, this man who was immovable, hallelujah, the, like the rock of Gibraltar. Ezra 2 verse 2 says, and listen carefully, now these are the children of the province that went up out of the captivity of those which had been carried away whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away unto Babylon and came again unto Jerusalem and Judah, everyone unto his city. Yes, give us the names, please which came with Zerubbabel. Okay, Zerubbabel. Who else? Joshua. This is the high priest, Joshua. You remember Zerubbabel? You remember Joshua? Ah, who else? Nehemiah. Ah, I think we are on familiar territory. Mighty men of God. Let's continue. Seraiah, I haven't heard of him before, but God bless him. He's made it. He's made it to heaven. Next, Reliah. Never heard of him. God bless him. He's made it to heaven. Next, let's all clap. Mordechai. Amen. Are you with me now? You see, Mordecai was among those who left Babylon to go back to Jerusalem. Ah, praise God. You see, when you love Israel, when you love the church, God will let you return. God, your name will be there together with Zerubbabel. Your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want my name to be mentioned with these people. Write my name with these people. Hallelujah. Zerubbabel, Nehemiah, Ezra, Mordecai. These are my brothers. These are my people. I want to go where they go. I want to be with them. Praise God.
I pray when that we will all leave this Babylon together. No one's name should be missing. Praise God. It's not worth it. I don't want my name to be put in some police record that I've died with some criminals, drug addicts. No. I want it to be written. These are the children who left Babylon. And they came back to Judah and to Jerusalem. They came back to their city. Hallelujah. And let my name be mentioned with Mordecai. Let your name be mentioned with Joshua. Let your name be mentioned with Nehemiah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, praise Jesus. They made it. Praise Jesus. God told Ezra, write down their names, all of them. It's a long list. All those who return. And sometimes you may read it and say, do I have to read all this for my daily bread? Each name seems to be a tongue twister. And, uh, you know, I can't pronounce these names. Oh, what's, how do I get edified? Well, I hope you are edified now to understand. Imagine if God was reading our names. You'll be very patient in heaven. You've made it. And God will say, all of you are written in my book. And he calls us one by one, one by one, one by one. We'll be clapping for every name. Well done. You made it. You made it. You did not bow down to Haman. Praise God. Hallelujah. You did not bow down to Amalek. Hallelujah. Amen. You kept encouraging Esther. You fought her. Amen. Amalek. You know, all the Jews were given weapons to fight those who want to kill them in Jesus' name. We will not be defeated by Am Amalek and his spirit and Haman and his spirit. We will fight them in Jesus' name and defeat them. Praise God. And we will leave Babylon to come back to the land that God gave to our father Abraham. Amen. And his sons Jake, Isaac and Jacob. Praise God. The church in Babylon. We will overcome Babylon. Say, I will overcome this world. My name will be among those who return, who go to heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God in Jesus. What a wonderful end to a wonderful career for God. Despite his great achievements and prestige, Mordecai knew it was time to leave Babylon. He has served God in Babylon and now he must return to the Holy Land. One of these days, the word of the Lord Jesus will come to pass and we will leave this Babylon of this world. May your name and my name be among those who left this Babylon. Hallelujah in Jesus. Luke 17. Let me conclude with these verses from Luke 17 verses 34 to 36. Luke 17 verses 34 to 36. I tell you in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. Brother, sister, may you be the one who leaves. When people say, where is that sister? They say, oh, she left. Jesus took her. She always said Jesus would take her. Now she's gone. Praise God. Jesus bless you. Let's bow our heads and pray and thank God for this message. I've shown you with the help of God how we are to behave in this Babylon. We are still the church. The time will come soon that we must leave this Babylon. To be, we will leave with the people of God. We leave with the promises of God. 
because they're always true and amen and they will be fulfilled. Make sure you believe the word of God. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message. You are the God whose promises are yea and amen. We believe every word of your Bible, all that is recorded therein. We know there was a man called Mordecai. We know there was a queen called Esther. We know that you've recorded all these things for our edification today. The church is still here in this Babylon today. The generation of Mordecai is with you now. It is we who must now build on the lessons, draw parallels from their lives and fight the battle with this lesson, Jesus. Help us. Help us to stand strong like Mordecai. On the one hand, edifying the people of God and on the other hand, refusing to bow down to the harmons of this world. Help us to en engage in that perpetual war against Amalek in Jesus' name, the war against the flesh, the war against sin, the war against the carnal nature, the war against uh, Satan, because this is a holy battle and we will win it in the name of Jesus. We know because you are with us. Hallelujah. You are victorious. You defeated death itself, amen, hallelujah. There is no known enemy that you have not conquered. Heaven is your throne, the earth is your footstool, my Jesus, hallelujah. And you will rule over the nations of this earth, hallelujah. With a rod of iron, amen. And all nations shall go up to the mountain of the Lord and worship Jesus in Jerusalem. Oh, blessed day. Oh, happy day. This is our hope. Just as the generation of Mordecai lived with the hope, with the faith, with their faith invested in the prophecy of Jeremiah, that he would visit them after 70 years. We live today with the hope that you are going to descend into the clouds one of these days and take us. Ah, hallelujah. We will be taken, amen, out of this womb. Help us not to be among those who are left behind, but help us to be among those whose names will be mentioned as those who left Babylon and returned to Jerusalem. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, Amen, Amen, Amen. God bless you abundantly. We thank God for his word.